did Jesus really say that? And we're visiting Sermon on the Mount. Um, a heavy, heavy whole bunch of stuff that we're going to hit. I'm going to warn you, we're not going to do a deep, deep dive verse by verse in, in, with intensity because that would take a long time. And you know me, ADHD, long time doesn't work for me. I already switched to a new topic within a couple of weeks. <laughs> I can't do that. But we're, I want to walk through Sermon on the Mount because it's one of the messages Jesus shared that reveals the love of the Father. However, some people see it as God revealing his rules. And so they live by the rules. But your lens matters. How you read the scripture, your lens matters because you can make it say almost anything. So I'm hoping to offer a hope-filled perspective on some of the texts that we're going to dive into. And some of these, I've, I haven't, it's been like 20 years since I last taught on some of this. So it's like, <laughs> my mind has changed a lot and grown. I've, I've matured in my understanding. I used to be right. <laughs> now I'm exploring a mystery. <laughs> oh my goodness. Getting older sucks sometimes. Anyway. But before that, a Henry Nouwen devotional. I know, very exciting topic, preparing for death. Isn't that great? Oh yeah. See, today we're all about encouragement. <laughs> but this one's really good. Some people say they're afraid of death. Others say they are not. But most people are quite afraid of dying. The slow deterioration of mind and body, the pains of a growing cancer, the ravaging effects of AIDS, becoming a burden for your friends, losing control of your movements, many of them, uh, being talked about or spoken to with half-truths, forgetting recent events and the names of visitors, all of that and much more is what we really fear. It's not surprising that we sometimes say, I hope it doesn't last long. I hope I will die through a sudden heart attack and not after a long, painful illness. But whatever we think or hope, the way we will die is unpredictable, and our worries about it quite fruitless. Still, we need to be prepared. Preparing ourselves for our death is the most important task of life, at least when we believe that death is not the total dissolution of our identity, but the way to its fullest revelation. Death, as Jesus speaks about, as Jesus speaks about it, is that moment in which total defeat and total victory are won. The cross on which Jesus died is the sign of this oneness of defeat and victory. Jesus speaks about his death as being lifted up. Nassau. That's the word. When I'm lifted up, Nassau. What's another familiar word of lifting up that Nassau sounds like NASA. <laughs> Lift up. That's where they get the word from. Interesting. Anyway, that one, that one kind of hit me because I know I do a lot of funerals, but we don't talk about death enough because it's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk. I want to talk about life. I want to talk about good things. I want to talk about happy things. But this is the fullness of life together in one. Hmm. Which leads me to my pause and ponder this week. These are the things, a few of them, that made me stop, 
pause and ponder. Different quotes, different thoughts, different topics in no particular order. Yes, your emotions are valid, but that is not permission to react to those emotions in any way you feel like. We are all connected, and words and actions are impactful, so use responsibly. I like this thought because more and more I hear phrases like, I'm just speaking my mind, this is just how I feel. Um, are you negating my emotions here? Are you, are you stealing from who I really am, language, all that kind of talk to justify bullying behavior or words? Our words matter, which is part of the message today. But I thought this was really good when you're in an emotional battle with somebody who is probably mistreating you. Um, That's why it made me pause and ponder. I love this one. I think we've done this one a long time ago. But the beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Ouch. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. That made me stop big time. Even though I'd read it before, I was like, oh my goodness. We need reminding. I thought that was really good. Because there are probably people we want to, to see change. And we want them to change. And ugh. When it comes to God is love, and love wins, it's the rabbit trail, rabbit trail questions, yeah, but, what about, that needs to be deleted. Until we can delete that phrase, yeah, but what about this? I don't want to be endorsing. I don't agree with the direction. I think it's wrong. But when it comes to something so deep of the love of God, I think until we come to that spot, we can't authentically love. But when we arrive at that moment, Maybe it's just a moment in time, and maybe we'll only arrive for three minutes, and then we, we forget. But it's in that moment, I believe, the Holy Spirit shows us love. It's not about trying to figure it all out and surrendering. I love the, word, the song you sang. Surrender even that, and you're discontent. Surrender that to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit take care of that. There's a few of you have been teaching me this kind of love through your stories and through your examples. And it's, been, it's been powerful. Eckhart Tolle, the fire of suffering becomes the light of consciousness. Sounds new agey. So, they've got some truth too. They really do. We can't, uh, I'm getting more and more comfortable with um, different ways of thinking and philosophies that the church would have balked at and called evil and not part of God, it's all heresy, but I'm starting to see truth in all kinds of philosophies and other religions. I believe the truth is, the source is Jesus. They may not see it that way, but I believe the true, true source of all truth is Jesus. That's, that's the cool part. So I'm not uncomfortable anymore when I hear something like this because I see people walking through terrible things, suffering, Pains, losses, loss of relationships, loss of, through death, loss of a job, you name it, or just an absolute struggle in your home. But it becomes the light of consciousness, and what does that mean? I think as we go through it, and most of you who've gone through hell and back, you'll find better wording than me. 
I've gone through my own hell. But I've come to see light in all that darkness. But not till later. When you're in it, it's really, really hard. When you're in that fire, it's, ah, it hurts. I want to get out of this. But it becomes the gateway to awareness and seeing the love of God in all things, in all people, in all circumstances. God's not absent from anything. This is from Brian Zond. To respond with hate, sorry, to respond to hate with hate enshrines the status quo and only guarantees that hate will win. The only real hope this world has for real change is the Christ-like love that absorbs the blow and responds with forgiveness. Ouch. Can I say it again? I have not arrived. I don't think there is an arrival. But looking at the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to mess up your nice little Western theology that we've tidied up and twisted to make, make it work for us. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was good. Jesus didn't have to agree with people to be kind to them. I like that one. I wish more people would learn that, especially those who claim to be Christian. That's all I'll say. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the, unse- the unseemly, the excluded, the weak and the broken. Again, God's attracted to your struggles. He's attracted to you when you're in those struggles. Jesus never promised that we'd be spared difficulty, right? I like what you said right this. Uh, uh, what was it, the phrase you said when you weren't, you're waiting for God to rescue you out of it? I forget what it was, but and he hasn't. <laughs> and you know what? He doesn't always. Daniel in the Lion's Den is the only story once in history of something really funky and cool that, you know, that would be a great YouTube video if they had it. But the point is, those stories are great to look at, but we can't take that and put it over top of our thing, rescue me. Even Peter was not rescued from his denying Jesus and the, the deep grief he felt for betraying. Jesus instead prayed, instead of saying, dear God, please help Peter not have to go through this. He didn't pray that at all. He says, I pray for you so that when you are through this, you will then be encouragement to your fellow brothers. We're never promised to be rescued from pain and suffering. There's no such promise. Oh. (laughs) But he's also promised never to abandon us. God is always there in it with you to encourage you, hold you. Even when in your darkness you can't perceive God's anywhere close by, the light's still there, even though it's darkness to you. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more it turns denial into acceptance chaos into order confusion to clarity 
It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates a vision for tomorrow. I hope to remember to bring this back up at Thanksgiving. That's a really good perspective. Last one. I th- oh, nope, okay, two more. Thomas Merton, I love Thomas Merton. You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it's all going. What you need to re- recognize, uh, sorry, what you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Some people are afraid of the future. What's going to happen in six months? Uh-oh, what's going to happen in a year? What are you doing future tripping over there? That's an illusion. It's not real. It's not true. You're fantasizing and thinking through what can happen, and then you start working out scenarios of what can happen if it goes the other way or this, and you've got this huge game in your head, and it's like, no wonder you're mentally exhausted. You know what that's called, worry, right? Be careful. I thought that was really helpful. Last one. Kenneth Tanner. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, not because of being pushed into it, but because the revelation of the love of God will buckle our knees. That's why we teach the love of Christ here, the love of God. What about this topic? Well, that's great. Learn love first, because love will address all the topics. It won't exclude, it will include. If you focus only on one category or theme, you're going to create an idea of exclusion of somebody. But when we teach the love of God, it will be inclusive. Because if you get the love of God wrong, you're going to get all the topics skewed. Did Jesus really say that? There are some pretty tough sayings in the scripture. There's some tough phrases that, like, what is he saying? Keep in mind, they're English translations. You know the Bible was not written in English, right? Or King James. (laughs) I love this. So what's the main point of the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount encourages us to love our enemies as ourselves and to be gentle with one another. Not looking for fault and criticism in one another, but attending to our own sins and shortcomings first. Loving your enemies as yourself. Not as much as you love yourself. That's not what it says. You can't read it that way. Trust me, you can't. I did for my whole life. But if you love others as if they are yourself, that changes everything. Just think about that for a moment. Love as yourself. Unfortunately, some people don't even like themselves, so until they discover how much God loves them, that they are beloved, the fruit of that being lived out will take maybe the rest of your life. I don't know. So, last week we ended with this. We talked about salt and light in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. 
like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Let's go back to the salt for just a second. Salt that may have lost its flavor is foolish. Both Greek and Aramaic use words that can mean either good for nothing or foolish. If salt has lost its flavor, it's foolish, then salt that keeps its flavor is wise. And rabbinical literature equates salt with wisdom. After speaking of salt, Jesus speaks of lighting a lamp. It was common practice in the time of Jesus to put salt on the wick of a lamp. To increase its brightness, the salt of wisdom will make our light shine even brighter. The Aramaic word for light is nura. It's often used as a metaphor for teaching that brings enlightenment and revelation to the hearts of men. Light can also represent the presence of God, the light of his countenance. Jesus is God's light in us. So, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. The basket will burn. Anyway, just kidding. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It doesn't say, may you preach and tell everybody how good you are and how bad they are, <laughs> it says live out through your actions. Um, Justin and I were talking this morning about, and as we, as we um, get older as parents, your kids reach a point of not listening to you anymore. Whatever you say, I know more. Right? There's a stage that happens, something like that. And so really you're just... You're just their food. <laughs> You're just their free rent. It's, it's really funny. Not really, but it's kind of what it feels like. So how then do we communicate important things? Your actions. Your behavior. How you get mad. How you discipline. Your tone. Believe me, I've not gotten this one right. But I'm still learning. And I'm, I've done a lot of course corrections. And I'm sure Jesse has too and many of us. It's through our actions that the light will shine. Are you a loving person by your demeanor? Just don't ask me when I drive, okay? I'm, I'm almost a different split personality in the car. Lori bugs me. How, you, how come you preach this grace stuff and then, you, what you just said? That, no, I'm just, anyway. It was a gesture. It was a physical gesture. Sign language. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> I th think it, but no. Get all your great illustrations from driving. But anyway, roundabouts. All right, moving on. This next one's kind of bizarre, and yet we've been talking about this one for a long time. Jesus teaching about the law. Oh, some good religious people go, finally, you're teaching about law. Finally, you're going to tell us what to do and not to do. No, I'm not. It's not my job as a pastor to tell you what to do and what not to do. Who's the only one who can tell you, inspire you, influence you in any direction of any kind? It's the Holy Spirit. That's it. I'm supposed to equip you to hear the Holy Spirit. That's it. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. I came to accomplish them, or in other words, I came to fulfill them. 
See, when we start to discover God's grace, or if you will, I'll use the quotation, grace teaching, law bad, grace good. And we create a brand new set of dualism. We just don't know it. And we make fun of all the law people and, oh, they're just legalistic because that's so easy to compartmentalize them and, and judge them is what we've just done. But this is grace teaching now, so it's all whatever. And it's like, until you go through it and see what it looks like when you judge. In fact, it wasn't until I, I'll call it even deeper grace, as I kept growing, I realized how judgmental I was in my, what I thought was grace against legalism. I thought, man, that's judgmental. That's so unloving. I, I created us versus them in a whole new system. But I think deeper love, deeper grace allows us to see each of us as one. And the judging becomes less and less and less. The things that trigger us and tick us off are hobby horses and topics become less important. If they aren't, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but this is big. He came to fulfill the law. But I think something we forget um, we always think in that law is bad. But lo the law actually triggers more sin. Did you know that? The scriptures tell us the law is the fuel for sin. I need 10 commandments in my house. Put them on the wall. Great. More fertilizer. Seriously. I'm not making this up. Law is the fuel for sin. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. You see, what happened here? He's having a discussion with a lot of religious people. And in this place where he's talking, they knew their rules. They knew them well. And they followed them. And it was so easy because you didn't have to think. You just followed the rule. Did you catch that? If you have how many? 600 and something laws. If you've got them memorized, you don't need the Spirit to teach you a thing because you've got your law. We need to learn that too. Careful. So here, Jesus is seeing how they added all these rules and they put a little fluff in there to you know, make it sort of accessible, but the lowly people, they'll never reach our righteousness. you know. And Jesus takes, and you'll see this, you have heard it said this, but I say... He's taking what they'd pulled down to try to attain law and, and to make that happen. He took it and put it back up to impossible. You and I can never keep the law. It was an impossible system. It was a setup. It turns out that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And then what happens to the law? Remember communion? The old covenant? Old law? is obsolete. Does that mean it has no value? It means it has no voice. We learn from it now. We can look back and see how that has contributed to Jesus arriving and fixing and completing the proper picture of who the Heavenly Father is. Didn't come to abolish it. Came to fulfill it. And he did. I did a whole course on this law part. That's why I, I, I can't get into all the verses and stuff and, and lay it all out. It's just, it'll take too long. 
I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Let me pause there for a moment. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear. People love that if they like to use the Bible as a hammer. That's a great hammer tool. That's a clobber verse to... Yeah, see, you gotta follow the law because it says, see, not a single thing till heaven and earth pass away. Well, it's never gonna pass away. Oh, really? Who's Jesus speaking to? Who do you think? You're not to actually speak out loud. Don't be afraid, you're hardly gonna get it wrong. Jews, okay, he's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to religious leaders. They all understood, if they can remember 613 rules, believe me, they can understand all these phrases Jesus is using in his text. Heaven and earth is not a reference to heaven, I want to go to heaven, oh my goodness, and, and earth being, you know, the round thingy. That's not what it's referring to at all. He's referring to the temple, The temple was called heaven and earth. The actual temple, until heaven and earth pass away, disappear. When did it disappear? Anybody remember? When was it utterly taken apart? 70 AD. Oh, yeah. It did disappear. Huh. That's not what I thought. It's not what I was told. I know. There are more hope-filled perspectives if you've not been exposed to this. Again, I'm sharing with you one lens that offered me more hope rather than what I have grown up with of absolute, you can't think outside this box. My goodness, let's rip the cover off this box because I want to understand more. I want other perspectives. And something cool about Hope Fellowship is I've had people come and share different things afterwards or in a small group that we're in and the different lenses of things. You know, I teach something and said, yeah, but did you hear about this lens? No. And then I have to go research. I go, wow, that, that adds to a more beautiful menu of how to perceive things. And when you have a menu of ways to see and understand the scriptures, guess what happens? You become far more accepting of others that don't have your particular flavor. They're not going to order strawberry cherry ice cream. They're going to order vanilla. Who does that? But it's on the menu. So there's an acceptance thing here. There's a way to hear the hearts of others without trying to be more right than they are. That is really cool. So you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them to be called, uh, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus at one point said, how, how they're going to enter the kingdom of heaven? Unless you're what? Born again. Oh. They thought they could get into heaven by their works, following the rules. And if they screw up once, 
Guess what? They have to wait until that day of atonement where all the sins are covered and everybody has the sacrifices and everybody's all happy. The, sh- the lamb, one of the two lambs goes out, one gets slaughtered, and everybody's sin is covered until the next day when you get mad at somebody. Oh, I've got to wait a whole year to get forgiven. <laughs> so might as well make a good list. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but this whole idea of what and who we are perceiving in all that we say and do, is it Christ in you? I believe it is. Anyone who obeys the law, like the religious, religious leaders, they think they're quite full of themselves, right? They, they were the righteousness. And Jesus is saying, until you reach theirs, if you, your system is about measuring up so he's playing to their system of how they become right with God. This is not a chance. Not a chance. Anger. This is a good one. We're gonna, uh, I won't get into the juicy stuff that I was going to get into, but anyway. <laughs> Teaching about anger. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Oh my goodness, pause back. Who is this guy? Who has the right to say these things in front of these religious scholars and leaders appointed through, um, the, like they're heirs to the system of priesthood? So here, who's this guy? Jesus. It says, you've heard it said, but I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Do you see what happened here? If you have this rule of murder, then your anger level, until you, as long as you don't kill them, you can be a mean, mean person and still follow the law. And Jesus is saying, you have lost the spirit of it. You have no clue what you're talking about. So let's show you how impossible it is. And then he says, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, pause there for a minute and go back to hell. Somebody said, what is that? So uh, N.T. Wright, you know who he is? Um, He has a translation out, and there's a few other translations that actually correctly translate this word. I don't know if you know this, but the word hell does not exist in the Greek language. It, It doesn't exist. It's not there. And if you associate it with eternal conscious torment, that's another story. But this word hell, the right word is Gehenna. He's not speaking of, you're going to go there if you teach this incorrectly. (laughs) This is but the fires of hell. What what are the fires of hell? Fires of hell were the garbage dump outside the city. The Gehenna of fire. Gehenna which is an actual place where garbage was burned outside Jerusalem, became a figure of speech for hell in the days of Jesus. It used to be the site of child sacrifice to the god Molech. (laughs) Translations matter. It really does. So here, he's saying even when you are angry, you're in the danger of this. Why? Because we all know by now in our culture, it's a very short line from the beginning of anger to hurting someone. We see it with road rage. That's how fast it can happen. 
Some of us most sophisticated ones, we can draw it out a little longer. Well, Jesus is saying here is the seed of all this. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice. What's reconciled means? mean? It means a broken relationship. That's what reconcil- reconciliation means. Uh, where there was a disconnect, where connection could not happen from one side or both, be reconciled. Fix the connection. Jesus reconciled the world to himself. Not that it was on his end, it was our end, our blindness, our darkness. And he reconciled and made relationship possible again. That's what reconciliation is. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Why? Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. I always wonder how they can pay off debt while they're in jail. I don't understand that. But this is a warning. that If you're counting on a law system, legal system, it's going to do its legal work. It's not pretty. It's ugly. If you can fix relationship stuff before you hit court, do it. Oh, I'm going to take my chance in court. Well, then take your chance with the results too because you could get blindsided with something that feels really unfair. It's just wisdom, big time. And I think we'll stop there. Yep, yeah, see? <laughs> Again. Oh, too much stuff. Next week we get into adultery, divorce, all those fun topics we just love to hear about, right? <laughs> um, but there's a hope-filled perspective on those as well. There really is. And uh, it was actually quite exciting to read and study. And um, what I'd learned years ago, um, I forgot where I had learned it all from, but I already had have an in- internal sense of what I saw and believed. But now to go back and find, okay, how did I arrive at that again? That's going to be, I got a little more work to do on that. But there is a hope-filled perspective on all this, and it's pretty exciting. Got to read it in multiple translations, I promise you. All right, let's uh, wrap up. Would you please bow your heads in a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, will you be the one who reveals truth to us, who confirms something is true, or... The one who creates a hunger to dig deeper. So what was that that I just heard? May you be the one who confirms. And may the result be joy and peace. Because you don't deal in shame. You don't deal in guilt and shame at all. So Father, woo us into your love even deeper. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.